Hi, I'm Sonny Alvestias, CTO in the gaming industry. Welcome to my podcast, aimed at software engineers, programmers, and computer scientists. In every episode, I put one of the best engineers working behind the scenes in the spotlight. Hello, everybody. So today I have the pleasure to receive a new guest, Maximiliano Contieri, coming from Argentina. And he has one of the longest career I've seen in software engineering. He has 25 years of experience. I'm sure he will have a lot of interesting knowledge to share to us. And Maximiliano is also a longtime teacher at university. And also recently, he's been starting blogging and he's starting to be a star in technical writing and, and technical blogging. So uh, I'm very pleased to welcome you, uh, Maximiliano. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you, Sonny. How did you start your career in uh, software engineering? Like, What brought you into software at first place? Well, I would, I wasn't aware of the term software engineer until I, I entered the, the university. I just wanted to do some programming stuff, like a, a garage guy on the 80s. I was born in the 70s, and on the 80s, I had my personal first, first personal computer, and I began to program. And suddenly, when I entered the university, a, a whole new world of big software construction shown on me. It was a glimpse of a, a brand new world of software construction. My fellow mates on the university liked more programming and programming on the small, and I was uh, very keen on programming on the large. And that's what I currently do 30 years after my university studies. I, I programmed since I was a teenager. I had a background in, in maths. I always liked maths very much. And I always like modeling things and creating things. And it's very easy to create things on a computer. Of course, with the internet boom, I, I exploded. And, and this is what I do. And unlike many of my fellow teammates of university, I still program. Most of them are doing other things related to software construction, but not programming. But I, I do enjoy programming after 30 years of doing it. I'm not as good as I was in the past. I, I'm a bit rusted, but I like it very much. I enjoy doing it. Why do you think you're not as good? Because I get rusted. <laughs> I don't debug as I did uh, with the passion and uh, I get to be nervous. <laughs> Some things you would say that come with the age and you say, oh, you need to have a lot of experience, but you cannot go with the train of all new technologies. I like React. I like a lot of them, but I'm a bit rusted and I work a lot on big and legacy systems. So it's not very easy for me to, to do things like dynamic programming. That is something that every programmer da does and I'm not very keen on it. And when I have to program, I, I work as, as a software engineer and sometimes I go in the code, but the people at my team is much better than me on programming. I, I might be better at software engineering, maybe or not, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they are better programmers than me. How about uh, maybe we go into some details on on your career? Because I, I know you, you've been through some several positions, right? So obviously you, you've been developing and, and programming engineering. I also uh, know from your blog that you also have been a C CTO. 
and maybe you ran also a couple of star steps. So maybe could we go through the, the all of your different experiences? So how about we start with a uh, CTO positions because I know this is not a role you want to take on anymore. So could you uh, maybe elaborate a bit more on your experience and what are the major inconvenience of the role and such? Yes. During my first 10 years, I worked at a banking company so developing, uh, developing software for, for banks and, and trading and stocks and instruments on the, on the stock market. And I entered as a junior developer, even when I was at the, at the university yet. And I, I went to a senior, to a semi-senior, to a programmer. Then the, the company needed a, a QA. QA was not as usual as is today, luckily. And I, I created the, the QA department and I, I managed it. But as long as I went up in the, in the hierarchy of, of the company, I began to lose contact with the, the, pro the program, the software, and this is very common on manager and director positions when you no longer are too close to the, the, the contact of, of the, the program. And so I said, well, let's move on uh, to a new startup. And I founded a first startup that was related to, to Facebook's applications. It was the boom for from Facebook's applications on the on the late 2020s, 2000s. It was very good. It was very nice. It was a wild market. The startup went, uh, had a lot of impressions and a lot of views. Then I moved on to the app rush, to the app building rush. And I founded the second startup where I, I built some apps for the iOS that was launching that year and later on to to Android and there were some some other companies like Microsoft and, and Nokia and BlackBerry and we develop apps that that, that kind of start, uh, startups were were wild you need to move fast and not build great products but have the the, the capacity to to move on with uh, apps that were moving every time and rules that were you, you needed to be fast and not as good So I decided to go to another gold rush that was chatbots. That was my third company founded from the ground with a, a, an intention to build a, a large startup with the chatbot hype that was not a five or six year go ago. I think now, even now we are too early for, for them, but we developed a lot of solutions for the conversational uh, interfaces for companies. And we deploy a lot of chatbots uh, that my position there was as a CTO. It was a, a small startup of a few 10, 10 or 20 uh, employees. And we shipped several projects and several products. It was a, I, I liked it very much, this product, because this product had a lot of great qualities and was innovating on, on machine learning. Chatbots didn't have all the tools that now you can have out of the box for building neural networks and, and, and machine learning and custom responses and, and training models. So it was kind of difficult to build and the market was not ready. We entered too early. And my position as CTO on that product was related to deploying on the cloud several solutions related to have the chatbots 
and to turn on and turn off several servers and load balancers. And the cloud was not as mature as today as a service where you can go to Amazon and say, let's build a, a load balancer. And every time we have a peak on, 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 on the sales events, like we have a sales day and Thanksgiving and, and so, so they can bring a lot of chatbots instantly once the rush of the, 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 the buying rush comes on. And it was pretty tricky. Now the, the, the tools are much more mature and you can build product, custom products uh, from the scratch uh, using uh, CloudFormation or, or any products that has Azure or, or AWS. But in those times, it was handmade and I didn't have any idea on DevOps. So it was a lot of stress and a lot of learning with the pressure of the client. That's why I'm not pretty sure that's what I want to go and do now. I've been offered a lot of CTO positions because CTOs are required, but I don't know. I don't like very much the DBO's uh, role. It's I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that does the role much better than me. I like building products and I like keeping products and I like uh, converting legacy systems into good ones. That's what uh, you might have uh, come across the, the term, I don't want to be a CTO anymore, because even every time I put I was a CTO on LinkedIn, I had a lot of recruiters asking me for CTO roles. And I'm pretty sure what I want to do in the next years. I don't know if, I, if 20 years from now I want to be again, because my mood is changing every time. But nowadays, I'm not focused on building a, a CTO. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on, on writing, as, as you pointed uh, recently and on building great products and on rebuilding legacy systems. Nice, nice. So you've been really uh, trying to take opportunities from what I understand, like you said, Facebook apps, right? Mm -hmm. And then iOS and then chatbots. So you, you tried to be a pioneer on all of these things, but being a pioneer comes with also the disadvantage of not having mature tools and products. Right. And then you have to build a lot of things yourself. It's a curse. It's a curse. I know what the future is, but when I start building it, uh, it's too immature. And then I say, oh, everybody's with Bitcoin. I saw Bitcoin 10 years ago, but I didn't build the blockchain. Or now I'm building NFTs products because I think it will be the future, but I'm too early. I don't care about it. I'm very curious, even though I, I'm, I'm not a young teenager, but I, I'm always very curious on what comes from the future. And I see fulfill most of what I, the trends I, I see, but it comes with the cost of uh, dealing with a mature product, as you said. Right. Can I, can I also ask, ask you a question about the, the chatbots? You mentioned you think it's still too early nowadays. Yes, it's too early. Have you tried uh, GPT-3? Yes, I, I'm in love with GPT-3s, but they don't allow me to enter the beta program. I, I'm pretty frustrated because when I, when I saw GPT-3s, I was, I was watching GPT-2 and, and previous models that were too, too bad compared to GPT-3s. But when GPT-3s came out on, in May and we were in lockdown, I studied a lot. And still today, almost a year after, I want to, to put hands on the, the, the product, but it remains in closed beta. I understand why it's in closed beta. I understand what does the, the, the model is, 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 is owned by OpenIA, but it's also owned by, by Microsoft. And I'm pretty tired of seeing a lot of demos of what GPT-3 can do. 
but I cannot put hands on. And every time I see, oh, there's a course on GPT-3, let's do it. And I buy the course on Udemy or LinkedIn Learning or any other place. And they show how other people is working on GPT-3. I want to put hands on it. I want to work on it because I, I love artificial intelligence. I love singularity and strong artificial intelligence. I've been in love uh, ever since I read the, the, the classic uh, sci-fi uh, novels from the 60s. And I want to build something like GPT-3 does. This will be my my commitment for the lab, for the next following years to build a product on GPT-3 or, or equivalent. There are many other products. So you're, you're giving us exclusivity of that you're going to build a product on GPT-3. If they allow me, if they accept my beta, yes. I, I, I have written a, an article a couple a, a week ago about my frustration on not building on GPT-3 and I'm, I'm consuming all the time articles. I think I'm going to have hands on it or a product or equivalent in, in a few, in a few months, hopefully. Right. Uh, from the quick look I had, I mean, I, I don't have access either to GPT-3, but it seemed that it was very good with English, right? If we think of chatbots, I think you, you want to make a product that is, uh, u- universal, right? Or at least as not just English. Do you think it, GPT-3 is, uh, is too limited in that sense? Uh, maybe just it works good with English, but not other language? GPT-3 is a model, and it's, it was built on Wikipedia and, and several some sources. I, I disagree. It was written, it was focused on just in English. I've seen some tests on, on, on many other languages, including Spanish and French. I know Spanish, and I think the results are very good. And all machine learnings are heavily dependent on the data. So if you have the data, you can feed it and they are not language, uh, they are language agnostic. They, they don't care on what they are. But of course, there's much more data on English and this is a bias they have. And this was a problem on, on chatbots. They always have bias and they were racist when they put it on, t- on Twitter because they had bias. But the bias is because the data we, we feed our models is biased. Uh, and when, when you feed an, an, an image uh, recognizer or, or, and, and you don't recognize, you just recognize white people because you fed the model with biased data. The problem is the data. I cannot imagine they built the model with hard-coded or hardwired rules for English. They just built the model with a lot of English data. When I built the chatbots, the chatbots were mainly on Spanish because my clients were in Spanish, in, in Americas, in, in Latin America. It was pretty difficult because a lot of the models were pre-built on English and tokenization and rules. And it was like building from scratch on, on, on Spanish models was, was difficult. Every language has a grammar. So if you build models using the grammar rules, it would be difficult to change from one language to another very difficult language. But if you build, as I think it was built, GB3's model agnostic or language agnostic, I don't think it will be very difficult to be even in Klingon or a, a setup <laughs> language. <laughs> right. But do you think there's maybe a, a lack of resources? Because uh, English is like the, the international language is every uh, nowadays, and there's so many resources in in English on the web, right? And Wikipedia maybe in English has the most pages. So I know uh, some like some people in France they did some experiment with some uh, some AI that would do uh, 
uh, NLP, and they trained their AI using like the French literature. And the French literature was a long time ago, and people had different habits and things that are considered racist nowadays were not. So the results of the AI was always a bit old-fashioned speaking and like had a lot of bias or a lot of uh, this old cliche from... Again, it's it's my point. That you are feeding the, your model with the wrong data. Why don't you put your chat box on a Discord chat with French people or with a forum or you take him to watch TV. I don't think uh, we have scarce data on any language, even for the not so popular. What I think it's GPT-3, I'm not know why I'm talking on GPT-3. I'm not very concise on on GPT-3, but the P is for pre-trained. So the model was heavily pre-trained. It's not trained every time you use it. And it was pre-trained on a lot of data, but most of the data was in English. If we could pre-train a model In any other language, I don't think it will be an issue. It's very expensive to train the model and GPT-3s. I have seen how much money has cost to to train the model, but it's more slow. Sooner or later, in a few years, the money will be would not be a problem. So it's it's just come and wait, and you will be able to train your models on any language, and you will not feed it with French two centuries ago, later to even though it's very good, the, the French literature, you will feed it with the living French of today. So just to stay uh, maybe on the on the topic of AI, so w- w- what do you think is going to be uh, the, f- the future of AI? And you mentioned the singularity earlier, so you, you believe that maybe one day we will have uh, what we call like artificial general intelligence? <laughs> I don't want to enter there because I got depressed. I have a thesis. I, 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 hopefully I, I might be wrong, but I'm obsessed with Fermi's paradox, if you have an equation that it adjusted every every year, every time with the expected life in intelligence life in the universe, it's not possible that we have not encountered evidence of life beyond the Earth. There are about 20 solutions on Fermi's paradox. And my solution to Fermi's paradox, sadly, is that every culture that gets artificial intelligence gets self-destructed. Uh, it's, it's, I don't want to say this because somebody's going to commit suicide. I have a, a scientific background and I think this is, according to me, the most probable solution. So when Bill Gates or the, the late uh, Stephen Hawking says, be cautious with intelligence, I'm a bit uh, concerned about it. But uh, nowadays, I'm, I'm more concerned on humans. We are having more trouble with humans nowadays. But I think my children, we have problems with our general artificial intelligence. And it might be, sadly, the solution uh, to Fermi's paradox on every civilization that comes to creating an artificial intelligence. That's interesting. So what, I mean, what kind of scenario do you, f- do you imagine? Is this like full auto description like Terminator the movie or more like humans are becoming like too assisted too lazy or something like this let's check out what we have done to other species as long as we evolve and how much merciful are on uh, other species we have to look to our planet to see what we have done to them why not what now creations are turning back against us and, and saying oh you are a step back on evolution and 
it will happen something if we leave nuclear weapons and one computer machine says the better solution for anything would be to nuke us. I don't know. I'm not certain. Hopefully this is will not happen because I want to have grandchildren and a lot and I want humanity to go beyond the stars and, and everything without auto-annihilation. But I get a little depressed on the future on that. Hopefully I, I'm very wrong. But it's exciting. It's exciting to think a computer can think because everybody thinks the computers are going to think like us. And this is another bias to, to think that because we teach computers, computers are going to be an improved version of us. And computers will be different because evolution works that way. When someone not related to, to computer asks us, how do machine learning algorithms work? And we say, we don't know. We really don't know. We feel with data and we have a cast function and we minimize it, but we are not, we have no clue how it's taking some decision. And, and this is working on, on computers taking some decisions that cannot tell us why are they taking, but they are right. According to our parameters and to our cost functions, a computer judging a criminal can say this is, this, it was guilty and a computer telling you if we need to perform a surgery can say this, this, this guy has cancer and they cannot tell us why. And I think artificial intelligence is going to be that way. They are going to have some reasons and they will not be able to tell us how did they get from path to get from the facts to the decision. Because that, that's the difference between machine learning and what was uh, artificial intelligence in the, in the 70s, where computer with expertise and so have a lot of inference rules that we program the inference rules and the path was pretty clear to uh, that came from an axiom to a conclusion. Nowadays, machine learning and AI, the most common is, is trained, right? It's supervising, supervised training. So it's we can say it's just a, a mirror of what we're feeding it to it, like mirror of generally like human data, right? Or human behaviors. So it's just a mirror of ourselves. The thing that will change, uh, shift things is that when they stop to just mirroring us. And there's a bit of that nowadays with reinforcement learning, right? Where the AI can just learn from its itself with like alpha zero and such of a algorithm. So that's, uh, that's really interesting here. Yes. And this is the first step. <laughs> there will be many steps and it will be in English from the supervised learning. You will not say how did you came to that algorithm coming from a supervised one as a couple of iterations before. All right. You had a very uh, a very long uh, and, and busy career, I would say. So, But I also know that you, you've been teaching and from what I've read, you've been also teaching at university for about the same time as your career. So... How uh, how has it been, and uh, w what did it bring to you and in, in your career? Yes, I never left the university. <laughs> I was a student, and I was an assistant teacher, and then move on, and came from several subjects, dif different subjects. Now I'm currently in software engineering, but I've been on, on programming and, and many other subjects. The university is is in my anchor. It's the place where I see people that never grow up because they always have the same age. And I know what they think, and I learn a lot from them. This might be a bit of, of a word, of a, of a sentence, but I know a lot. I learn a lot with every uh, student I have because they bring new technologies, they bring new ways of thinking, and they challenge what we teach them. And this is my 
easy way to keep up to date with new technologies, my students, because I work for a company and the company clearly has one stack of technology. But when I go to my students, my students say, oh, I've been working this. Have you tried this? And, and they say, we teach them some, some things. And they say, oh, but now it's, it's trendy to use this and this way. And so I go back and, and, and Google it and say, oh, there was that fancy thing, Node.js or, or React or, or something new or, or anything or, or way or any, or any framework. And they teach me a lot of things. And I think they are anchoring me. Because they are students, they are not poisoned with companies that drive them to learn one, just one thing. They are, they have a broad opinion. And this is very good for us because as long as we move on from on our career, we tend to focus on very narrow and no knowledge uh, framework, the world framework. And we know a bit all the framework and we know, we know we, we can only Use that framework and we know every, every, everything on that framework. But there are a lot of other frameworks. My students bring me this and I'm very curious and they challenge me a lot, us, because we're a lot of, of guys. Not, not a lot, but we are, we're a team uh, teaching. And every class changes, even in lo- on lockdown nowadays, the, the last three, three semesters uh, were remote, as, as you can see. University in in Argentina is is very bad by by nobody is at the university because of the salary because they are they are very uh, underrated the the, the the salaries I cannot tell you but it, it's not good the, the university is a, is a state university I can earn a lot of money on companies but I like very much switching from my company's uh, job and then move on at night to teaching and to, 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 to talk to the students. I see. That's, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious. Did you see any kind of a difference of a desire or like aspiration or like a goals from, from the different generations of students like 10 years ago to now, nowadays? Is there, is there any differences or? <laughs> the, the irritation is very short. When I started teaching, we gave the students about 30 papers and books. Now I think we are giving five and we are reading them in class because they don't want to read. They don't want to find solutions. They even don't want to go to Stack Overflow. They, they need the answers and move on to the next subject at two minutes. The, 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 the attention time is, is pretty small. I don't want to say they don't read the classic books on programming, but they don't read the classic books on programming, on clean code, on, on building systems. Even they don't read the design patterns or, or some things that you need to read if you want to be a software engineering. They expect us to teach them in class and learn it from then and go programming and, and go and, and pushing. And they, they don't want the, the, the full story of why the things are the things that they are. They have no patience, but it's not their problem. It's our generations and the, the FOMO, and, and I can see on my children, and, and I can see on myself. I don't read as many books as I read when I was a student. We have too many new focuses of, of attention. The internet is on our hand. We have a lot of courses. We can, I can talk to you, and when I hang out with you, I can go to Ademi and learn a framework in two hours. 
I wasn't able to do that on university. I had to go to the library and, and ask for a book and I don't have, I didn't have computer time. I, I think they are in a better way, in a better place now than we were young. It's not a problem not to have the attention, but you ask me what were the differences among the years? It doesn't really change the results. The ability to learn and be good at programming and, and software engineering is just a different way of learning. Is more spread or this is what you mean? They they don't go for any concept in depth. They they just take a bit of anything and and they mix it. It's it's a bit in some ways because you need to understand concepts in depth to know the reasons of why. I said in class, don't use nulls, please. We have a problem with nulls. The industry is corrupted with nulls. Uh, Tony Holt said, don't use nulls. If, if you want to know why, Google it. Because if I say there are a bunch of papers that said what were the problems of using nulls the last four years of, of software industry, they don't read them. So it's more like an, uh, an evangelization of saying the truth and not saying why the truth in a scientific way has the the background or the facts that tells why this is good or why this is bad. They need to stay with us and trust us. And this is not good. They don't want to, they don't need to trust us. They need to understand the reasons why what we're teaching has a problem or is a good decision. I teach software design and design seems to be something where everyone has its own opinion and say, oh, let's use a singleton. No, you don't need to use a singleton. A singleton is bad, generate coupling, has a lot of issues, has a lot of problems. Uh, I will use it. Okay, but let me show you why. I will show you. I, I will not say this is bad and you don't use it. I will show you why you shouldn't use it. Or let's say, uh, let's use polymorphism instead of, this is something that it's a design rule when we teach software engineering. They don't let us very much speak and, and, and tell them, why are the reasons and what is the evidence? Because something, as we are in a, an academic way, we don't usually say things that the workforce is concerned about. The workforce is concerned of shipping fast, not on software quality. At the academia, we're more aware of software quality and building robust solutions and robust products. In your career, you've been a pioneer, right? So how did you uh, balance these things, right? Because being a pioneer sometimes means you need to ship fast, right? Because this is time to market. And in your own career, did you always try to apply these robust principles and make sure that what you've built is always robust? Or did you took some shortcuts, I would say? Every place you need to work on, you need to see the constraints. I, when I was working on a, on a startup and had a sitting found and an MVP, I shipped in a bad way and fast to go to the market as soon as possible. Nowadays, I work in a 800 people company and I don't ship fast, but I need, I ship robust because if we made a mistake, there are a lot of big issues on, on big companies that rely on, on us. So quality is something is an, a driver and some, sometimes it's not. You need to keep an eye on it. If you're working on, on a GitHub project for a MVP on your blog, ship fast. I don't care about the quality, but if you are working on the Perseverance on Mars, please do ship with quality because today it was a firmware update to the Ingenuity on the rover. I don't think they are trying to ship it in a hack way 
in a hackish way. They are working with old technology, with robust technology, with a Snapdragon that is a CPU that is uh, seven year old. I don't think there's a silver bullet to say every time you ship ship quality. Now, sorry, that's not my point of view. But you need to be aware of the scenario where you're working, and if you are pioneering and entering a, a wild market, you need to ship fast without quality, and then you refactor, you build test, you build a great product after that. Good, good. Could we also discuss about what what do you think are maybe the, the most important principles someone uh, should know or should apply when they they're trying to ship with quality? Uh, I think nobody talks enough about coupling. Coupling, I think it's the, 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 the only, in fact, I have an article that says coupling is the only problem we have as software engineering. And nobody cares too much about coupling. They couple. Every time we ship a line of code, we couple. Some coupling is accidental and some coupling is essential. I'm turning in, in Aristoteles or in, in Brooks terms, in Fred Brooks terms that said, avoid accidental anything. Anything is a wildcard, you, you can put coupling. I would say to every programmer, avoid accidental coupling. Just couple to what the domain need to couple. Okay, so if you're building a, I don't know, a banking product, you need to couple that you will have a client coupled to his balance. Okay, this is a good coupling since it's a domain coupling, since in the domain you can see that bond among concepts. But if you are working on the balance and you put in the middle a, a premature optimization, a cache, a hatch table or something, and you dirty your solution because you think that will be a, a concept you will need in the future, you are coupling and you will not ship good code, mindable code. You or yourself will blame on you because you couple and you uh, took bad decisions. My advice to anyone is just be aware of the coupling every time you program. And if you are not certain of the coupling you generated, it's te technical depth. So point out and say, I'm coupling this to that. It might be technical depth. Please review it uh, <laughs> in a couple of days because someone will blame. I'm working on legacy systems and refactoring legacy systems and shipping legacy system means breaking coupling every time. It's the sole, the, just the, the one task you do when building Uh, or keeping legacy system working. Remove the coupling so you can evolve it because if you keep all the coupling, you no longer can evolve it because it crashes, it has a ripple effect and a, a lot of the, the system uh, degradates and, and becomes very unstable. So coupling is my word. Okay, I, I couldn't agree more, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> but, but but not everyone agrees. I think the junior developers, they, they don't care because it's it's debt. And as long as it's debt, debt is in the future. And they don't care because they are working. They are generating debt. They are going to pay when they work in the future because we are ourselves the one who blames ourselves of the past. So be a good man. Be, be, be a Boy Scout rule. Be, be someone who leaves the, 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 the code better than when you encounter it, not more couplet. Don't, don't, don't put that cache in there. Don't put that hash table. Don't put that just in case. Don't couple to the data, to the database. Don't make a data DTO. 
they just couple your code. Don't do it. Just business rules and business objects and what you need in an essential way to model your domain. Right, right. Do you think there's uh, any improvement from when you started programming and nowadays? Do you think this is a, I mean, maybe not with, within the juniors uh, or within the students, but within like a, as a general culture, do, do you think it's a problem that is more known nowadays in the computer science world? Or do you think we're still, we will still fight this problem for years and years? I can tell you from where I, I start working, I can split the problem in two. We have the soft problems, teamwork, communication processes. I, I think it was a huge improvement there. I started working with cascades and DVDs and DARs and diagrams and all that. And diagrams and all case and, and all the things that led to nowhere. And now we are aware that building software is a human process, is a human task. And most of the problems we have as software engineer are human related, communication related. And I think we are very good. Uh, we have improved a lot from the last 30 years or 40 years on that. On the contrary, on the technical side, computer languages are getting worse. Every computer language is worse than the, the previous ones. Computer languages are just focused on optimizations and on hacking and on giving us a lot of flexibility to make a lot of mistakes and castings and move on, move on, let's move on. I don't care if you put a string and you compare with an array, let's move on, move on. So when you need to debug the code, you will no longer uh, see or be aware of where did you make the mistake. Move on, move on, don't break, don't break. Computer um, computer programs are uh, computer languages are, are too bad. There's not silver bullet on computer programs, and this is something that Fred Brooks also said on the 80s. We are not focused enough on on computer programs, and the companies push to fancy modern languages, make us ship us fast, and we have the same problems that we had on the 60s: null pointer exceptions and overflows and bad comparisons, and we expected to have the fourth generation, the fifth generation, the declarative, and we are we, we see that new fancy and trendy languages are not declarative, but they are implementative because every byte counts, and this is nonsense. If you need to work on huge systems, of course, you need to optimize some of the portions of the code, but you need to make it on Pareto by basis, not the 80% of the code. You need to optimize just the, the, the critical path and the rest of the code should be declarative. And nowadays, computer can translate declarative concepts into uh, working code for machines. But we humans keep programming on languages that are more close to the computer because we think we are smart. We're smarter than the computers, but we are not, well, not there. And I had bad news on all this fancy com uh, programmers, juniors programming going to that languages. Machine learning is programming on that languages. So, Junior programmers that are leaving university or they are working on the self-thought path and going to be unemployed unless they decide to move a bit higher on the declarativeness or of their solutions, their programs. My advice to junior or to 
to, to students is to be smarter than the computer. Let the computer do the optimization. Let the computer move the arrays. Let the computer move the strings. Focus on business, on business and on declarative of business, not implementative of the fo focus on the what and not on the how. But the how is too sexy for us. It is sexy for the students. It was sexy for me as I was a student. I like to go and say, how do we take from the stack in order one, the minimum of the, uh, no, bullshit. Nobody does this on production nowadays. Today on production, we need engineers that work and can translate business, mo business concepts that are moving too fast and evolving because the world is evolving too fast and we need to keep up the pace on our solutions. And keeping up the pace is not keeping on the arrays or the JSONs or what the bits are stored. We need to move on the entities and we need to model the entities. And I think we are not taking enough attention on the entities. Uh, I love DDD and TDD and, and model design. And I think not many people is aware of this. What do you mean precisely by, by entities? Entities, if you need to, to model uh, the epidemic on the world, you don't need to model that data. You don't need to move arrays and strings and you need to create a, a concept, a concept that will be the virus and the beds on the ICUs or the people moving or the people migrating. And these are concepts. Most software engineering things on how storing, how to store the concept, not the behavior. You need to model the behavior of the problem you're modeling. So if you are working on a banking system, you need to model how the account behaves. Know how does the, the, the account stores, stores its, its IBAN or its code or its number or how it moves $100 from there to there. You need to, to focus on the behavior. When we see a, an object or we see a model, we uh, let's me see the attributes, the properties, the data, because everything is on the data. No, data is nonsense. Data is, is accidental. Data now is there, but tomorrow it can be the, in the other place. We need to focus on behavior because if we translate what the, we need, we see on the world as behavior on our system as behavior, we keep a one-to-one -one modeling from the domain to our model and the model can evolve uh, in the same way that we learn from the uh, real world. We, is we stick to where we put the data, the bits, the arrays, the strings, the numbers, the floats, the, uh, we, we are seeing trees and not we are, we're not seeing the forest. So we need to focus more on behavior. This is a problem. We, we need to be declarative and focus on behavior, not implementative and focus on the data. Nowadays, in at least in gaming, especially booming in gaming and in game development, there are some people that are starting to switch from OOP, from object-oriented programming, to ECS and DOD. So OOP is like OOD, object-oriented object, uh, object design, but there's also data-oriented design. So where we basically define data. So the, the ECS stands for Entities Component Systems. So the, the the data is all encapsulated into different components. So one component could be like your your life in a game, right? You have some life points, right? And then you have an entity which is like a, an enemy or it's you as a player. So these two entities as this component, which is the life. And then you have systems that just get 
all of the life's components and apply what needs to be done. So if we're in the fire, so you and the, the enemies are getting hurt. So the system will know that and will just apply this modification on every component all at once. So it's like a inversion of control at the same time. No, I, I wasn't aware of the concept. I am, I'm, I'm anxious to Google it as long as I'm fishing with, with you. I don't have any experience on, on gaming. Every time I said um, something controversial related to optimization or so, or especially the singleton pattern that is very used on, on Unity and, and gaming, I get a lot of comments on, on gaming programmers and I say, sorry, I don't know your your. I'm not an expert. And what, what I say is more suited to business, backend, classic server domains. This is what I'm, I, I've been working on. I don't know if I can fully speak on, on gaming. I don't, I, I don't even write a line of code on way. I never built a game on, on, my, on my life. I pretty understand what you told me of your event reaction system, even though I, I didn't know the term. But if it's related to, to data and it, it is not um, modeling the behavior of the actors of the life or the character you save, I might say it might not evolve as rules of the games evolve because it's coupled to the data and the rules. I can go to my comfort zone on systems where on the 80s there were a lot of database-oriented systems and store procedures and store procedures were pretty little things that move one data from another place where an event was triggered and they were maintainable. They, they never evolved and nowadays they are mostly abandoned. Just They are just left for very critical things. So my question for you would be, how would the system evolve? I'm pretty sure you can program with this thing you are telling me. I was not aware of the concept. But now that the character can become another character or can evolve or can respond to a, into another character and have new abilities, how can you evolve? If a single change on your domain ma maps to a single change on your code and a big change on your domain impacts in a big place in your, as long as it keeps the, the same portion of change, I think you are pretty good on it. But I'm afraid, without knowing anything about this new way of, of programming, you said that it might not be the rule. But on the contrary, you told me about inversion of control, and inversion of control is the solution for coupling. So I like it pretty much because you no longer need to know who you are coupled to. The coupling is inverted. So you just need to fulfill the contract and this is your behavior. And someone accidental on the other place will now fulfill your contract. But in, in, a, in a couple of time, another inversal of controls that was inverted might fulfill the same contract. And as long as we are talking of contracts and behavior and not on data, I'm good. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what we are talking about because I don't know the technology, but I might, I might like it. <laughs> Yeah, from what you were saying, I think there were there are some similarities because uh, you you were discussing about the behavior, and uh, I think I would agree that this is really what uh, was important in the code and where the, the logic stands. Right, the the data is always changing, 
because also I mean also in game development there's also a lot of change in requirements or we also often just like drop some features or want to add some stuff or remove some data because we want to make the game more fun or add more features or whatever right so the core logic doesn't really change it's really just about maybe the, the data we have more data or things like that so uh, yeah I, I was just thinking that there were some kind of bridges between what you were seeing and, and what we were experiencing uh, how about we uh, discuss your, your blog now because I found your blog on the web and I quickly found that you were giving like useful tips uh, so the most interesting series on your blog is about uh, the code smells and you have a lot and I'm, I'm really impressed but all of them you have and I think you still have a lot to, to show right so what were your motivations to, to start blogging I might say it was the lockdown, but it, it was not. It was not real. As as I said, I kept mentoring for a lot of years to to students, but I need to stick to the, the program and, and the subject. But I've learned a lot in all of the jobs I had, and I've seen some common issues on many of the jobs I had. I also encountered people, and my commitment, my twenty twenty commitment, was to write a bit. Uh, about my past experiences, but the lockdown found found me in my house without too many. I'm a very social guy, and I I'm an outdoor guy. And the first months we were not able even to go much outdoor, so it was Netflix or blogging. <laughs> and I said, and I, I got a lot of feedback once I started blogging. I found a community. I didn't expect to find so many awesome people there. I was, due to my job, I met just people in my country and some guys on the office on Europe or, or Americas because we had business there. But I found out there were a lot of people on software engineers, especially on Twitter and, and technical blogs with the same problems in places I've never heard of. And we had the same. And the virus made us feel like we were together as a humanity and I couldn't travel last year. Nobody, I think, could travel much. But I met a lot of people for a lot, from a lot of uh, different countries and we had a uh, lot of, lot of things in common. I, I, I deal with coupling on my everyday job and some guy in Croatia has the same problem and some, some people in Nigeria has the same problem and um, people in, in China and in India has the same problem. And I didn't expect to write a series on cold smells. The cold smells were invented or, or described a couple of years ago by Martin Fowler and Bob Martin and a lot of people smarter than me wrote down a lot. But I said I was writing very long art and theoretical articles and boring articles and read a lot and I, I made some good camps and I learn about technical writing. It's not as easy as it seems. I'm still learning a lot and on technical writing. Once I began writing short, very short articles with very, very straight to the point, two minute articles. And I, I provoked myself to write them in many programming languages. If you see the series, they are written in, in, in a lot of different programming languages. I'm not aware of many of them. Uh, but I visit, uh, I think, a, a dozen of, of different programming languages from, from Java to JavaScript to Golang to PHP, uh, Ruby. And it was like a me mental challenge for me to learn the basics of every language and compile the code and see 
and not stack because if you write the whole series on JavaScript, everybody is going to say, ah, there are JavaScript smells. No, they are not JavaScript smells. They are design smells. You can see this in JavaScript. And the next smell, you can see it. It's in, in Java that is uh, statically typed. So the problem is, is another. And the one is in Golang, where you don't have uh, closures and you cannot predicate on, on iterators. And this is a, a specific code smell. I learned there were a lot of code smells that were already written in books. I suggest you to read, to all you to read books. The term code smell was coined in a book by Martin Fowler that has a lot of code smells. I rewrote them in a short place. And some code smells are not my invention, but I say setters are code smells. I don't like setters. Setters have a lot of problems. And there are many people in the industry that say, don't use setters. But I said, it's a code smell. Don't use it. Avoid them. It generates mutability. It violates encapsulation and it violates information hiding principle. And I put a sample and I relate it to another code smells. When you use setter, you have mutability. That is another code smells. And you have coupling. And as you said, I have written about, I think, 60, 60 something, and I have drafts for 40 more. And people suggest me <laughs> and they say to me, this is a cold smell. I don't know. I'm not the Bible. <laughs> if it's a nice couple, it's a cold smell. That's the truth. And so can you bring me your code? Yes. Okay. And this is, and most of the cold smells can came from tweets or from Discord or from guys telling me, I think this is a cold smell. I disagree. All right. I wrote them. And most of the cold smells I wrote, after uh, some research, I, I was aware that someone else has written the, the same code smell. So I, I pointed and I, the article and said, this guy has also said this was a code smell and this has proofs and this has watched a lot of code on GitHub and says this is a code smell. I discovered a new world on technical writing and technical writing. And I had a lot of spare time <laughs> due to lockdown. <laughs> Would you uh, have any advice or maybe uh, would you recommend for the software engineers out here to also start a blog? Yes, start it even though you don't have too much to say. Just start with your journey, with your problems, and a lot of friendly people will uh, come and make a lot of suggestions. I didn't write the, 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 the code smells because I had a lot of experience and I know they're related to many code smells I wrote. Uh, I changed it. Uh, something I changing the opinion, or I said, I think a, a couple of weeks I wrote a cold smell and said, to me, this is not a cold smell, but many people think so, I put it. Let's start the discussion. I think, and I learned that, as, as, as I say with my students, even a self-taught teenager that is starting to working has a lot to teach us. I learned, I follow a few guys on Twitter that have 15 years and they don't have a computer science degree as I have, but I have learned a, a lot of things from them. And, and this is astonishing. This this is not something that happens in many other industries that you can learn from new people. I don't think you can talk to a surgeon or a 50 years old surgeon. Let's uh, learn from this guy, from this practitioner that is starting to biology one. He has something to teach you. No, this is not happening in any other industry like us. I encourage everyone to write. I ne never expect the right place or the right knowledge to write. Write down and keep it moving. It's not hard. It's not carved into stone. Once you write, I, I visit. I revisit my my blogs, my articles every day. I have a sticky note that says, "Let's when I walk in on the on the street, if I can walk, if I can go out, I say I will change this, and then I go back and change it." So 
perfection is an enemy. We hate perfection. And this is also related to code. Avoid perfection. Just refactor. Just make good code or make bad code by technical depth. Make great coverage and refactor, 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 and you will have good code. Nobody writes good code, not even a, a very experienced engineer at the first time. It's impossible. That's another Cosmel. If you put a name on your class, even if you are an ex the domain expert and you stick to that name, it's a Cosmel because you will also learn a lot on the, on the, on the path to change it later. Maybe, uh, is there anything you would like to share? Like, is there like any current projects or maybe any futures you would like to, uh, to introduce or? No, you can follow me. Uh, I don't know if you're going to, to put the, the social networking. My, my name is, it sounds Italian, but it's not Italian. It's Maximiliano Contieri.com. I also learned that building a personal brand is important. So I'm building it. And if you follow my, my blog, I blog daily or, or to by weekly and I write with the feedback of people that follows and, and says, why don't you write up? If, if I cut off that uh, fuel from people, I don't have anything to write about. I encourage people to write me and, and talk and engage in discussions. I have heard, written down everything I knew a couple of months ago. Now I'm just writing everything I'm learning and this is a journey. And this is why everyone can write because we are all learning and we all have new things to, to learn and to share. So if you want to, to follow me, you can go to my blog and you can follow me on Twitter. I, I answer quickly and I am around on many on Reddit and, and many in GitHub, and many other, like if I was a teenager, looking for excitement uh, so you can engage with me there awesome yeah i would i uh, would recommend you follow you follow maximiliano on on every every channels thank you for being here and uh have a good day uh maximiliano it was a pleasure bye 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 hey.